All right, would you turn Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father, it is sobering to hear these words of the apostles, to know that while we live here in Chattanooga, there is also a sense in which we dwell in the heavenly realms, and because of that, we are in the realm of cosmic conflict. Father, I would pray that you would open our eyes to see our situation more clearly this morning. But Father, I pray as well that you would open our eyes to see that you have clothed us with your armor because of the death and the resurrection of our Savior for us, because of his signal victory over the forces of darkness, and because of our union with our Savior. His triumph is ours. <clears throat> Encourage our hearts in that truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a family relation called this past week, angry, troubled, bewildered. Like a lot of younger people, she ordinarily texts messages, so when she calls, I know it's urgent. The husband of a woman who is a Christian podcaster and author had proven to be unfaithful. The woman's podcast had helped my friend through some dark times of her own. My friend had even met this woman and her husband at a book signing event in Atlanta. They'd seen such a model couple at the time. But now a pattern of unfaithfulness had been brought to light and the husband had been terminated from his leadership responsibilities at a prominent church. In the comment section of the online story, haters of the faith were savaging Christianity as hypocrisy. And this wasn't the first marital failure involving people who have touched my friend's life, people she respected, people who encouraged her. And that's particularly what troubled her. It's just so discouraging, she said. If these professing Christians failed so spectacularly, might not she, might not even Valerie and me failed, she wondered. 
We talked at length, we prayed, and then after I hung up, I called Valerie and we prayed for her too. The devil is such a master of deception and lies. He has a loathing hatred of those who belong to Christ. We represent everything he despises. And I feared this latest episode of disheartening news presented to my friend might present the devil with a strategic opportunity to whisper into her ear, wise up you stupid one. Don't be so naive. Don't you see that the Christian faith is just one big sham? It's all play acting. It's hypocrisy. Just live for yourself. It was just one more reminder to me that we conduct our lives on a spiritual battlefield. As he closes his letter now, Paul impresses this reality upon the Ephesians' minds. Finally, be strong in the Lord that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. No doubt at this point Paul is reminiscing on his own experience in Ephesus. It had been only a few years earlier that he had ministered there for three years. Ephesus with its magnificent temple of Diana along with the culture and the businesses that supported it was an epicenter of spiritual darkness. But for all of that Paul had enjoyed a fruitful ministry there, one that had brought an economic downturn to the businesses that supported the temple and not content to see their profits go south. Several angry tradesmen had incited a public riot. Some of the Ephesian believers had come close to being torn limb from limb in the local stadium. The devil is none too kind to believers in churches on the front lines of throwing back the forces of spiritual darkness. The Ephesian church didn't need a reminder of that. They were already painfully aware of it. What they needed was encouragement. They needed hope so that although vastly outnumbered and having no political clout whatsoever, they might stand firm and they might prevail against the malevolent principalities in the heavenly places. So building on what he has already said, Paul says, in effect, take courage. Your Savior has already won the war for you. Christ, by his resurrection from the dead, has triumphed over all the might of darkness that opposed him during his earthly ministry. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame, triumphing over them by his resurrection. He has delivered such a death blow to the devil and his forces that they will never recover from it. And we who are united to Christ, our victory by simple faith, we enjoy the spoils of his victory now. Christ reigns over all for our blessing and our progress. Even so, the day of final victory, 
when sin and evil will be utterly eradicated has not yet come. There are many battles that remain before the VE day of our Redeemer's return. And so, knowing he has won the war for us, we must stand firm and we must fight the good fight of faith because though we may lose some battles, we will not lose the war. Now, how is it we must fight? We'll consider that today in our next time together. But today we consider three truths in this passage that equip us to stand firm. First, know your enemy. A healthy respect for our enemy is necessary to stand firm. If we underestimate our enemy, we will, lose, we will see no need to put on God's armor and strength, just like naive little children who walk out on a minefield in a war-torn country, we will walk into harm's way, unarmed, oblivious to the danger. Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, <clears throat> against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What does this opposition involve us in? Opposition on a cosmic scale. Now you and I live in Chattanooga, but joined to Christ, we live in the heavenly realms. In chapter 1, Paul prays the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But you see, living in the heavenly places means that we also war in the heavenly places. In fact, this cosmic conflict is the setting for the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. The crafty serpent of Genesis becomes the hideous dragon of Revelation. The devil tested our Lord during his earthly ministry. He claimed he had authority to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he would bow to serve him. Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. The term rulers, authorities, powers, forces suggest Satan's powers are well organized. They exercise power on a cosmic scale. But even so, Paul is saying, take heart. The Lord Jesus has dealt a cosmic, decisive blow to the forces of darkness by his resurrection. At the end of his earthly ministry, as he prepared to ascend to his throne of supreme authority, our Savior promised, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he promised to be with us with all his power until the end of the age. Demonic power cannot keep God from saving his elect even more than Satan's legions can finally avoid their eternal destruction and torment. The omnipotent one is our general. And under his sovereign hand, the devil is like a vicious dog on a short leash. Luther said the devil is God's devil. He is a defeated foe. But just like Hitler in his bunker, he can't accept it. He can't face the humiliation. So he vainly fights on until the day of his complete and utter destruction. And we know opposition on a daily scale. 
Far from being opposed in some mystical way, we fight with the invisible forces in the routines of daily life. And becoming Christians as if we are soldiers of the cross who are now established on a beachhead on an enemy-held island. And every advance which God's grace enables involves a counterattack by the enemy. You see, it's in this ordinary progress of growth in Christ-likeness that the devil seeks to defeat us. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. He says, mundane life, not just mountaintop experience, is the sphere in which Satan appears. Notice how it is that Paul brings that out here. He's been discussing marriage. He's been discussing family life. He's been discussing everyday working relationships because, you see, that is precisely where Satan attacks It wasn't when Adam and Eve were attempting some extraordinary work for God that Satan attacked in the garden. It was in the mundane, daily affairs of life in a pristine environment that they were attacked. Again, Ferguson says their marriage, which was the best of all, God's basic provisions for them became the strongest instrument Satan could use to set them at odds against God and each other. Ferguson says it is in marriage, parent-child relations, and in the daily working world that we need to recognize we are not dealing merely with flesh and blood, but with the rulers, authorities, cosmic forces of evil. While touring Israel years back, some friends and I were walking along a street in Tel Aviv one evening. It was a summer night. It was lovely. And the streets and the shops were warmly lit. People and families, they were eating, they were shopping, they were talking, they were going about their daily routines. But I was surprised to see how many young men and women were shouldering sophisticated armament. They were carrying Uzis. And our tour guide told us that because Israel exists in a perpetual state of warfare, both men and women serve In the army, and each soldier is responsible for supplying and maintaining his or own weapon. But in addition to all that, all are encouraged to take their weapons with them in their daily activities. They simply accept it as a given that they must be prepared for an attack at any time. However we may feel about the appropriateness of that here... That scene still sticks out in my mind as a picture of the spiritual state of the church. We we conduct our daily activities on a spiritual battlefield. We are in a continual, constant state of warfare. And so continually we must be shouldering the spiritual armament of God prepared for an attack. Know your enemy. And then beware of his schemes. 
The devil's power is great. He holds the majority of mankind prisoner behind the locked doors of spiritual darkness and unbelief. He is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Paul said back in chapter 2. The devil keeps unbelieving people blind to God's truth. He keeps them in a fixed state of separation from God. The devil acts as both humanity's jailer and executioner. The person who is not a Christian is Satan's prisoner. Satan has him where he wants him. If, however, he becomes a Christian by God's grace and illumination and power, Satan treats him now as an escaped prisoner and he goes to war to recapture him. And how is it that the devil works? Well, notice how Paul warns us to put on the whole armor of God so that we may stand against the schemes of the devil. He is a schemer. And what are two of the devil's schemes? The first is deception. Deception. The devil is a master of duplicity. The Puritan William Bridge said that the devil will tell us a hundred things that are true in order to get us to listen to the hundred and first thing, which is a lie, so that he might trap us. The Bible calls the devil the father of lies because he is a master of disguising himself and disguising what is harmful, a fishing hook, for example. Beneath what he thinks we want, a brightly colored lure if you're a fish. He hides from our minds the painful consequences we ought to consider. If you, if you bite that lure, you're going to get caught and you're going to get cleaned and you're going to get cooked. He hides these things from us so that we might make a false judgment. The, the devil is subtle, he's crafty, he is a patient angler when he needs to be, he is pushy when he has to be. He is a brilliant student of humanity. He knows us in many ways better than we know ourselves. He hates us. And so his one goal is to destroy our lives. J.I. Packer says, living the Christian life is like playing a piece of music on the piano. If you get the notes wrong, you fail. If you get the notes right, but the tempo or rhythm or volume wrong, you still fail. It's only when the notes and the style are right that the performance succeeds. Satan tries to trap us into doing what is formally wrong and also to distort enough of what is formally right in our habits and actions to make it wrong in its effect. Thought without wisdom, love without wisdom, Love of truth without love of people or vice versa. Zeal with error. Orthodoxy with unrighteousness. Conscientiousness with morbidity and despair. These are all samples of this kind of distortion. And closely related to deception is discouragement. The devil hates God and so he hates those who love God and enjoy him. He tries to destroy us under a mountain of discouragement and hopelessness and despair. He does this by blinding us to the salvation God has freely given us in Christ. Remember what it is that Paul told the Ephesians was true of them back in chapter 1. Here they are abiding in the shadow of the temple of Diana. Here they are feeling small and outmanned and insignificant. Nevertheless, Paul said, 
by faith alone, in Christ, they may be assured that God the Father chose them before the foundation of the earth. They may be assured that God the Son has redeemed them through his precious blood. God has forgiven them by not counting their sins against them, but counting them against their substitute, Jesus. And they may be assured that God the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in them as the down payment of inheriting glory on the day of our Lord's return. You see, God always completes the good work he's begun in those who have Christ. What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. But you see, Satan attempts to distract us from these truths. He attempts to blind us to them in order that he might destroy us under discouragement and despair and hopelessness. Yet another pastor committed suicide, writes Nathan Carter, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist in Chicago. But, but this time, Carter says, he was my close friend, and so I keep asking myself, how do I make sense of this? Carter goes on to describe the hardships his friend endured in the ministry, how his church membership dwindled and declined. His friend struggled at times with clinical depression. But Carter takes comfort in the biblical truth that God counts us righteous by faith alone in Christ, apart from our works, apart from any so-called success that we might enjoy. Carter says, Christ's work irrevocably becomes ours. His death pays entirely for all our past, present, and future sins. His unique life of utter faithfulness is completely credited to us and clothes us. In other words, he says, for Christians, God's end time verdict has already been irreversibly handed down and declared over us righteous. And Carter's right. But I share this story with you as a warning. You see, in this world, my friends, we are not engaged in conflict management. We are engaged in a very real war with one who grievously wounded many of God's children, Adam, Moses, David, Peter, and a host of others. But I also share this story as an encouragement that you need never become so discouraged and hopeless as that dear pastor. Are you in need of God's mercy and forgiveness? Well, remember how Paul, by his own admission, had been a blasphemer of God. He had been a persecutor of the church. He had been a violent, murderous man, and yet he found forgiveness through faith in the redeeming blood of Christ. Are you in need of restoration? Peter denied his Lord repeatedly, yet he was restored and he enjoyed fruitful ministry. Are you besieged by temptations and doubts and troubles of all sort? Look to your Savior. My friend, Christ died for you. More than that, he was raised from the dead for you. And right now, he is at God's right hand making intercession for you. And that assurance brings consolation that nothing shall separate us from God. We may lose a battle, 
But my friend in Christ, we cannot lose the war. And finally, be strong in the Lord. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And notice two implications in that commandment. First, we do not empower ourselves. The verb be strong is in the passive voice. We don't empower ourselves. We can't empower ourselves sufficiently for the warfare that we are in. But the second is we are empowered by the Lord. Our strength and power come from God because our Savior Jesus triumphed for us. The Son of God came into this world, John says, to destroy the works of the devil. Satan used every means to deceive and defeat Jesus and he failed. Not once was our champion and mediator guilty of unbelief and sin. At the cross, Jesus died to make certain the salvation of all whom the Father had given to him. Then at his tomb, Jesus rose from the dead, achieving a decisive victory over Satan and his hosts, making a public mockery of them. The cross and the empty tomb ensured that countless numbers would be delivered from the dominion of darkness and transfer to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Oh, my friend, are you strong in the Lord? Are you in the Lord Jesus by simple faith? Jesus tenderly invites, Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My friend, I invite you to take Jesus at his word. I invite you to believe his promise to you. I invite you to accept that he shed his blood as a payment for the sin of you. Accept his, that he rose from the dead, victor over sin and judgment and death and the devil for you. Oh, my friend, don't call the Lord Jesus a liar. You see, that's what the devil would have you do. Don't be duped by the enemy of your soul. Instead, believe in the Lord Jesus and be assured that he reigns over all. For your blessing and progress, not one of his will be lost. Dr. Brian Chappell loved to tell the story about the time his daughter, five years of age at the time, played soccer with her much older, bigger, and stronger family members at a picnic. And rather quickly, this five-year-old tripped and she got trampled. And humiliation and tears, she ran from the field of conflict, vowing never to fight again. Her father was a wise man. He picked her up in his arms and hugging her to his chest, she played the rest of the game held up and supported by him. And knowing she was supported not by her strength, but by her father's, she laughed and she faced down all her foes. Child of God, you have been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. And now you live in the strong arms of your heavenly Father. Child of God, you may fall. You may hurt yourself. But you're, you cannot lose the war. You will not fall headlong to eternal destruction because your heavenly Father will not permit it. So stand firm, knowing you are redeemed by Christ's blood. 
You were adopted as God's child. You are now indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day when you will put on glory. In that hope, stand firm. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for these words of warning by the Apostle Paul. But we also thank you for these words of encouragement. Our Savior, by his death for our sins, more than that, by his resurrection to new life, more than that, by his ascension and his present enthronement over all things, has achieved for us a victory which we cannot lose. By faith in Jesus, by simply responding to his invitation, come to me. Father, we have entered into his victory. Father, there are many battles for us to fight before you call us upward to yourself. We pray that for those battles ahead, you would arm us with this hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, should we fall, should we fall flat on our faces, should we hurt ourselves and be bloodied in our battles, encourage us to get right back up and carry on in the fight of faith. Because yes, there are times when we may lose the battle. But in Christ, we shall not lose the war. That is our hope. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.